Want to get free tips in your inbox? I know what you're thinking. Ugh, sign up for your spam emails in my inbox every day. No thanks. Don't worry, I won't be emailing you more than once per week. And each email will contain insightful, valuable, actionable tips that you can apply to your podcast today to get closer to Podmastery. Sign up now at podmastery.co. That's podmastery.co. I've only shared less than five. And everybody just thinks I'm going to share. I'm not going to share. <laughs> I'm not going to share. Yes. And people say, well, that's selfish. No, it is not selfish. As a podcaster, one of the biggest challenges is marketing. The marketing of your podcast episodes to get people actually interested in them. Because let's face it, most of us are not. We're not interested in yours. We're not interested in your best mates. We're only interested in the episodes that specifically speak to us as an individual consuming podcasts. And that can be bloody frustrating, particularly when you're going to all this effort to put this content together just for people to largely ignore it. So in this episode, we're going to be speaking to a marketing expert about the best ways of marketing your podcast episodes. We're talking to Marcus Sheridan, author of They Ask, You Answer, and All Round Marketing God. Before we get into this episode, this podcast, The Podmaster, helping you to attain podmastery, it's really all about that. It's about helping you to get better at podcasting and get the results that you want. So let me lift the curtain on one of the many tools that I use behind the scenes to get the results that I'm getting both for myself and my clients. One of those tools is something called Podkite. Now, in case you don't know what Podkite is, it is a tool that you can use to not only track what your episodes are doing, how they're ranking in the charts. We've got a whole episode all about that coming, by the way. The reviews that you're getting, as well as who's listening. Not only that, but it creates simple links for you that you can share with your social media followers and on your website pages. So that when someone clicks on them, the podcast episodes that you're promoting will open natively in those specific apps. And I've got a special offer for you if you're interested in checking this out. If you want to get a hold of Podkite with 10% off, then you can do so with my special discount offer. All you need to do is go to podnos.studio forward slash podkite. That's P-O-D-K-N-O-W-S dot studio forward slash podkite. And let me know how you get on with it. All right, let's get on with the show. If you've not read They Ask, You Answer, a book all about using your website to directly market what it is that you're doing to your ideal customer, then let me just give you the cliff notes. Marcus Sheridan, the They Ask, You Answer man, is known for having a worldwide best-selling book, which literally answered that question. How do we answer the questions of people coming to our website? This is Audible. They Ask, You Answer by Marcus Sheridan. But Marcus is an all-around marketing guru and a legend. He knows exactly what you need to do in order to get attention for your industry or business. So who better to ask for the secrets to getting attention for your podcast and its episodes? 
We cover quite a bit of ground in this chat, including Joe Rogan, what makes him so special, and why does everyone else hate him? I mean, duh. And also, how you can get attention for your podcast episode so that people actually want to listen to it. All right, let's get into it. Obviously, the most classic in the world for this space here is Joe Rogan. Well, Joe Rogan politically is all over the place. I uh, wrote a tweet that began, it doesn't stop infection or transmission, and they banned me. Okay, I, I would say that that's been pretty well vindicated by events. That's, that's vindication. <laughs> but because he gets more viewers than the mainstream media, on average per episode, they just lose their mind. What Joe is doing, it's so interesting. If you look at it without emotion, which by the way, folks, you got to learn to look at things and take away your dang stinking emotions about how you feel about stuff and just look at it and say, why is that successful? This is what makes smart business people. You look at something and you say, okay, what's he doing? Okay, what is Rogan doing? He has people of all like types on there, all beliefs on there. And he just asks questions and he talks to them like he's at the coffee shop. Him and his guests are the only person at the bar and whatever. They may be smoking a doobie, but still it's the same principle, right? It's the same principle, which is they're having a relaxed conversation and he's not passing off judgment on that person. And he's just allowing them this free space to fully talk without edit. Can we mimic that same thing? Well, we can in so many ways. And should we therefore, going back to the original question, should we therefore talk about our competitors? I absolutely think we should. We should not talk negative about them. You do have to be aware, though, that as you become a thought leader of your space, and not just talking about your competitors, but all the things that I teach and they ask you answer. Because when people embrace this framework of they ask you answer, they do become that thought leader of their space. It just happens when you follow the system. Well, that puts a target on your back because people get jealous of the fact that everybody's reading your stuff and they're learning from you versus learning from your competitor. So therein lies the catch-22 about it, but I'll take that all day long. At the same time, I've had many of my competitors thank me before. They said, hey, I just want to thank you for including me in that best of article that you did or whatever that, whatever that thing is, right? And so that's how you become the linchpin of your space. That's what I want to be. If there's a conversation happening in a space that I'm part of, I want to be a part of the conversation. If somebody has a question, a worry, a fear, an issue, a concern, I want to be the one they're learning it from. And I do not ever veer from that. That's the target. So that's why we don't have to debate about talking about the competition. And that's just the way we do it. And also, when you do it, it just makes people say, son of a gun. Look at this company. They're just willing to do it. I mean, they're just willing to put it out there. Love these guys. I wish everybody was like this. They've got stones. They are not afraid. And people want to do business with businesses like that. Businesses that stand for something, isn't it? it it's like you've, you've got an identity, you've got a personality. You're, you're more likely to be someone that someone's going to connect with on a personal level if they know what you're about rather than, oh, well, these guys are really corporate and they don't really sort of ever give anything away. Do we trust them? I, I totally get that. I think that's spot on. 
you touched there on Joe Rogan. I, and I don't want to make this about Joe Rogan because obviously Joe Rogan is, you know, he's the pedestal of podcasting, essentially. He's one of the most successful broadcasters and podcasters. If you want to put it in sort of all under the same umbrella of all time. There's, as you mentioned, there's a lot of jealousy towards Joe Rogan. And one thing I've noticed is a real narrative and not just among sort of what I would call the indie podcasters and the low level podcasters, but even some of the bigger brands, you know, there's a lot of digging and, and griping that goes on against Joe. What can indie podcasters do? to really just sort of get above that and stop thinking of themselves almost like in a negative way of, oh, we're only indie podcasters. Because that seems to be quite a narrative that's going on where people are saying, we really, you know, it's not fair. They get all the all the success, all the celebrities straight in the Apple podcast top 200. Not that really matters anyway, but, you know, there is that narrative. What would you say to people like that that concern themselves? Man, this happens in every single space, in every walk of life, in every industry, in every field. The ones that are not getting as much attention, many of them, for lack of a better phrase, piss and moan all day long about the fact that they're not getting the attention they think they deserve. If you want to rise above it all, the marketplace will lead you to that point. I have never seen in the history of the world complaining lead someone to become a true leader of their space like we're talking about. We just have to go and we got to do something. Let me let me give an example. I speak. I speak professionally. I've done it for 10 years. And when I first got speaking, everybody said to me, yeah, if you can get a speaker's bureau to represent you, you're just going to like, man, that's what it's all about. And so I'm thinking, man, it's all about having, I got to have a speaker's bureau. I got to be represented by a bureau. And then I was thinking, why am I not represented by a bureau? Nobody's calling me. How come they're not calling me? Boo-hoo. I was becoming quite successful and still no bureaus were calling. And I was like, what's wrong with me? Why are they not calling me? And it was this continuous cycle. And then one day, and I'm just going to be very honest here because I don't know any other way. One day I looked down at my numbers and I said, huh, I've done a couple million dollars in speaking and I've never used a bureau. Maybe I don't need a bureau. Son of a gun. And then I stopped. That. <laughs> I stopped thinking about stupid speakers bureaus. In fact, today, if y'all bureaus call me, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want you to represent <laughs> me. Because I'm freaking awesome on my own. You see what I'm saying? What yeah. good did it do me to boo-hoo all those years? It didn't do me any good. And so it's so much like more fulfilling. It's like, what, 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 we don't need those. If the internet has taught us anything, it's that we don't have to be on the conveyor belt that we were told was necessary in order to attain the success that everybody else in our space did. You can do it your own stinking way. And isn't that awesome? With particular reference to podcasters, and what should they be doing to get more attention for their podcasts? Because everyone's got an answer to this. Even myself, I've got all the answers. But I'm asking you, now you answer. There you go. We're on, Brad. How can I get more listeners to my podcast, Marcus? Let me just give you a couple things that, uh, for you know, I've obviously as someone that gets asked to be on podcasts all the time, why do I say yes? I say yes when I can tell they truly know me know about me, 
have made an effort to have some type of legitimate connection with me. If somebody ever contacts me for a podcaster, they're immediately off the list. All right, gone. Now, if somebody reaches out to me, but they don't say anything specific to me about why. In other words, if it sounds like it's a LinkedIn connection request and not an actual podcast invite, I'm out. You know that LinkedIn connection request. Hey, it looks like we have a lot of similarities. Let's be friends, right? So now I'm out. I'm out on that person. But if somebody says something to me that makes it clear that they know my story and they like my story and like, look, I'm on the show with you now, Neil. And why? Because we developed a relationship through LinkedIn. You did the work. I wanted to come on your show. I feel an obligation towards you because you have invested in me. Those that haven't invested, I don't feel the need to invest back. Now, what are some some other things I think they do wrong that could help them stand out? Well, I'm not the type of guy that promotes podcasts, even on my own. Why? Well, you know my LinkedIn. My LinkedIn is like 99% give, 1% promote. So if I'm doing a podcast a couple times a week, let's say, if I'm on somebody's podcast a couple times a week, that would mean that I would burn that post from that day promoting some cool thing or some podcast that I was on. So I'm not going to promote it. But what would I promote? Let's say somebody like yourself. There's a couple rants that I'll go on today. Just naturally, you bring them out on me. If you send me a clip of a rant that's perfect for social media, the chances that I share that now have dramatically escalated. So in other words, take the extra time to create the greatest bits, right? Set of greatest hits, greatest bits of that podcast episode. Send it to the person as a thank you, packaged in a way they could share it online. And now all of a sudden, I will actually share that. The few times I will share something for myself on a podcast is when they created something for me. And I've been on like, obviously, probably somewhere between 500,000 episodes of something at this point. And I've only shared less than five. And everybody just thinks I'm going to share. I'm not going to share. <laughs> I'm not going to share. Yes. And people say, well, that's selfish. No, it is not selfish. Because if you think it's selfish, you don't understand anything about branding. And you certainly don't understand anything about social media. Because we all know that person that all they do all day long is promote their crap. I'm not that person, which is why people pay attention to my stuff, which is why I've got a very loyal audience on LinkedIn. I'm on one stinking platform, LinkedIn. That's where I do my stuff. So I've got an agency, about 70 employees, and we're doing all this different type of stuff. And they're constantly saying, hey, Marcus, will you promote this event we're doing? Now, this is my company, my company. They're saying, hey, Marcus, will you, will you promote this event? On your LinkedIn. I'm like, so what's the story? What what do you mean what's the story? If you don't give me a story, that's cool. I ain't promoting my own event. Maybe you show me a video of some person that's talking about how their life changed because they came to that event last year and people watch and say, man, that's an amazing story. That's so cool. I can do that. And then the promotion of the event gets thrown in 
That's part of it, okay? I'll buy, but I'm not promoting for the sake of promotion. Screw that. No, sir. No, 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 no. Stop. Eventually, my team's like, oh, so we have to have a story. Yes, we got to have a story. No story, no post. I have a business partner at Impact. We say with all of our social content, would Marcus want to post this? That's the litmus test that the company now uses. Whereas before, it wasn't as thoughtful. Now it's very thoughtful. Trying to tell a story. So hopefully, I know that we, the original question was, what can they do? Well, to me, it's about what I said. With your guests, show them that you know them. Do the dirty work on the front end to build the relationship. And don't complain and say it's impossible because it's very possible. By the way, the whole complaining and the negative and I'm a victim, it never works when it comes to building your brand. Just let that dumb stuff go and live in the solution. Figure out better ways that that guest can promote your stuff. I'll get a little bit meta for a second. I teach a lot of salespeople and do a lot of sales training. And one of the questions I like to ask sales professionals are, is this, would you consider yourself effective with asking questions? And most of them say, yeah, I would say I'm pretty good at asking questions. And that's because they can ask the questions that are on the script. But then we test them on their ability to ask questions. And suddenly they realize, oh my gosh, I'm not nearly as good at asking questions as I thought. And so what's one way that you can do this? There's lots of different tests that you can give to yourself and to others to see, am I really good at asking questions? Because obviously, if you're going to be a great podcaster, you have to learn to ask better, deeper questions than everybody else. And so you have to learn to think in the form of a question, right? And you can do different exercises on this, but let me give you an example for your listeners, if that's okay with you, Neil. I'm going to give you an do. example of an activity. And this is something that I do with sales teams, but you can do, I do it with like managers, leaders, things like that. And so there's this activity I like to do with companies called the question only game. And so oftentimes when we get a question, we just tend to answer it, right? And the problem with that is it never induces any self-discovery in our audience. Because we want to sound smart, so we just we, we know the answer, so we answer it. No transformation occurs. So how do, we, how do we lead to transformations? Well, it starts with you thinking in the form of a question. Now, this game exaggerates it. You might not, you might not communicate like this on a day-to-day level, but it helps you start to think in the right frame. And so the question-only game works like this. Here's the activity. You're going to ask me a question. Now, I'm only allowed to answer your question by asking you questions until the point when I'm able to say that's exactly what it is. So it'll be a what is question. So let's just use a silly example, all right? Let's, uh, for the sake of this conversation, let's use what is content marketing? Marcus, what is content marketing? Oh, I love this question. So have you ever bought anything, Neil, where you found a website about it and you kept going back to that website over and over again to learn about that thing? 
all the time. Now, what was it about that website that made you keep coming back? Uh, indecisiveness, but thinking I wanted it. Yeah, and so what was the th- what was the information that that website was talking about that other websites didn't necessarily talk about with respect to that product or service? It was giving real life use cases. Okay, use cases, real life. What does real life mean in this context? Like, what do you mean by how did you know they're real life? What does that mean? As in, they were demonstrating using it on video or in audio format as well. If it's okay, a microphone, so they were truly demonstrating it. You could see it. What else did they talk about, or show you, or address that other websites didn't necessarily talk about or address with respect to that product? Who the ideal customer for that product would be? Okay, who the ideal customer was. Great. All right, what else did they address? Any other information that you wanted that they gave you, nobody else necessarily gave it to you. Pricing, funnily enough. (laughs) (laughs) Pricing, pricing. And because they were willing to talk about pricing and because they were willing to talk about these other things and show you these things, what was the emotion you felt towards them that you didn't feel towards the other companies? Trust. (laughs) <laughs> and that's exactly what content marketing is. I love <laughs> That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Okay. It's a shame it's only me doing this, but yeah, round of applause. <laughs> so you see, you see what happened there, though, is when people do an activity like that, what happens is they really struggle because they're just not used to thinking that way. The problem is we're just not very good at it, and we usually stop early. So I'm constantly watching recordings of either salespeople or or managers or CEOs have one-on-ones or have presentations with people, and they constantly, as soon as they start to get beyond surface, they stop and they move to the next thing. And so because of that, there's never a moment of personal discovery. There's not a light bulb moment, as we like to call it, with our audience, with our listener. And so an example of how you could do this is, let's say I asked you the question, if you had all the money in the world and you didn't have to work again, what would you spend your time doing? Now, if you answered that just initially, Neil, what would you say? I'd carry on doing what I do because I love it. But obviously, I know that's not the right answer. (laughs) It's not a wrong answer. It's not a wrong answer. The key to this is I'm going to continue to ask you questions. Now, if I keep asking you questions, even to the point of I'm thinking I'm done, but I keep going, then what's fascinating is you always land at a place where you did not start. So let me give an example. I've done that question before. Somebody might say, I would travel. And here's where we end up. I want to create very special, unique memories with my loved ones. It's not that they want to travel. They want to create special, unique memories with those they care about most. Now, the way you know you've gotten to the core of something, and this is, this is very important for any, any podcaster, but anybody that wants to be world-class at asking questions, the way you know you got to the core is either you can clearly feel it as an emotion or you could paint it as a picture. Those are the two indicators that you're there. So notice a minute ago, I said, and so because they do those things, what is the emotion you feel towards them? And you said, trust. That means we're there. We're home now because we've boiled it down. We've boiled a complex thing like content marketing down to one simple word, which is trust. That's how we know we're there. 
right? Lots of times, if I'm coaching a, a an individual or team, I'll have to say, "Can I paint what you've, what that person you're talking to just said?" And they'll say, "I guess you can't paint it." Now I can't paint it. I can't see it until I paint it, or I can see it, or feel it as an emotion. We're not there yet, so keep going until I can paint it. It's the same thing as a teacher. If I'm explaining in such a way and they can't paint it, like if I'm telling a story, this is the test for the story, the storyteller. If you can't paint the story, then you haven't told it well. Yeah. So these are simple activities that you can do, simple guides that you can have. And the last thing I'll say about this, here's how you know you're good at questions and asking questions. Because oftentimes when you're talking with someone, they'll say something like this, you know, now that you mention it, or, you know, now that you put it that way, or, hey, I think I know exactly what I need to do. You see, these are all light bulb moments. And those that are the greatest communicators and leaders, right, are the ones that induce the most light bulb moments with their audience. Here's a tip to help you get closer to pod mastery. We're talking about target loudness or perceived loudness using a measure called LUFS. Now, if you really like acronyms or you want to know exactly what the technical terms of these things that you're doing with your podcast are, LUFS stands for Loudness Unit Full Scale, which essentially is just a way that the industry measures loudness across the entirety of a track. Now, you can control the LUFS measurement of your audio in both Adobe Audition and Audacity. Those are the two main tools that I recommend for recording and editing audio in. Although I'm sure if you were to look at matched loudness options or loudness targeting in any of the DAWs, digital audio workstations on the market, I'm sure you'll find a very similar way of controlling this. Just Google it. For the purposes of this episode, I'm going to talk you through how to do it in Adobe Audition and Audacity. If you're in Adobe Audition, it's really simple. Just go to Window and make sure that the Match Loudness option is ticked. You'll then see this in one of the panes on your layout. Click Match Loudness, hit Match Loudness Settings, and then when you see the drop-down menu, Match 2, make sure that ITU are... BS 1770 loudness is selected. Enter your target loudness as minus 16. For tolerance, input 0.5 LU and the max true peak level should be around about minus one for the best settings. If you're using Audacity, you can achieve the same thing by clicking the effect panel. Go to effect, loudness normalization, make sure the perceived loudness is selected and again, pop in minus 16 for LUTs. Click OK, and you'll notice that everything is now at the correct level. Hopefully, you'll immediately realize the benefit of this, because your listeners certainly will. Well, there we go. I hope you enjoyed this first episode, and I feel it started as I mean to go on. Talking to Marcus Sheridan about the secrets and the tips around marketing your podcast episodes and making sure that people are starting to take an interest in the stuff that you're doing. Otherwise, what's the point? In the next episode of The Podmaster, we are going to be lifting the curtain on the podcast charts, specifically the Apple podcast charts. 
and what you need to know in order to use the Apple Podcast Chart to see success with your podcast. The Podmaster is a Podnose podcasting production. Find out more about us at podnose.co.uk. That's P-O-D-K-N-O-W-S dot co dot U-K. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Podmaster podcast. The fact that you've listened this far tells me you got something out of the episode. Want to get more free tips and insight on how to improve your podcast? Each email will contain insightful, valuable, actionable tips that you can apply to your podcast today to get closer to Podmastery. Sign up now at podmastery.co. That's podmastery.co.